Hello, you're listening to Just Screen It, Case Studies in Creative Distribution. I am your host, Colin Stryker, and I am not an expert in creative or self-distribution. I am an independent filmmaker working towards making my first narrative feature a horror film entitled The Grove. As I've been contemplating my own eventual distribution strategy, I've been looking seriously at self-distribution as an option, but I found there's not a lot of data out there to really understand how it's worked for people. So I decided to start this podcast to help capture some of the experiences of those who have already been through it, whether successful or otherwise, and from those experiences, help both listeners and myself better understand this really crazy, complex landscape of independent film distribution today. So each week, I'll be bringing on a filmmaker who has self-distributed or been personally involved in the distribution of their film. My hope is that future filmmakers can take the knowledge gleaned from the show and use it to make their own decisions on how to best distribute their films. Hey all, my guest today is Raphael Sparge, an established industry actor and now the director of the documentary Only in Theaters. Uh, if you're an independent filmmaker who appreciates the value of watching independent films in movie theaters as I do, then this is a film you must find a way to see. Only in Theaters follows Greg Lemley, CEO of the iconic Lemley movie theater chain, as he navigates the difficulties of remaining open in the modern movie era in the face of dwindling ticket sales, competition from streaming platforms, not to mention the devastating COVID epidemic. Uh, in the interview, uh, Raphael and I talk about the movie itself and its relevance to the movie-going experience today. Then we shift to Raphael's own experience of making the movie with virtually unfettered access to Greg Lundley and his personal struggle. Uh, and then perhaps most importantly to the theme of this podcast, we talk in detail about Raphael's own challenges in getting only in theaters out to the world, not to mention out to theaters. Uh, there is a lot to unpack here that's very relevant to today's independent filmmaker in so many ways. I want to get right down to it. So here now is my interview with Raphael Sparge. All right, Raphael, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Colin. Thanks for having me. I just watched your movie last night, Only in Theaters. This is a, a great take on, well, it's it's kind of a story of Greg Lemley, right? And kind of a take on his struggles to keep Lemley Theaters chain alive, maybe not you know, he has a decision on whether to sell or not that he struggles with, and then COVID hits and uh, all these things. And it really gets at the heart of how hard it is to maintain the world of art house cinema these days and keep movie theaters alive. And so I found it to be a very moving film. It, it brought tears to my eyes a few times as, as a cinema lover and as a lover of seeing movies in movie theaters. Yeah, very, very uh, special documentary to me. So anyway, here's Raphael. I should let him talk and not talk myself, but just wanted to give that introduction. So Raphael, if you want to maybe just start out with a little bit of biographical information, kind of how you got into filmmaking. I know you have a long acting career. You know, we don't need to get too much into that and get in as much as you want, but we'll get to, you know, your current project and, and the focus of, of this podcast. But just to set us up with a little bit of, of background, kind of an origin story, if you would. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been in front of a camera, you know, the majority of my life. And I, you know, somewhere at some point I was producing something and the director fell out. It was one of those like, well, I guess I'll do it. And, you know, it's that classic thing where you, you've been in a car in the passenger seat your whole life because your mom's been driving and then finally get behind the wheel and you're like, oh shit, like this right. is really complicated. So that's was the experience and and uh you know the the process of kind of learning the craft of this. I'm not suggesting that I've learned it. It's obviously <laughs> geek's paradise because there's always more, right? right but right. 
I somewhere about 12, 13 years ago, I I started this and and then have really enjoyed it and and really it's been sort of an kind of a step you know as an actor i consider myself a storyteller right so it's mm-hmm. a different storytelling but it is storytelling and and using the camera to be able to do that and then collaborating with a bunch of people who are really 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 good filmmakers who then are all sort of gathered together in this whole purpose and and that's been thrilling and and yeah. that, that's what i sort of enjoy so much about about filmmaking yeah cool so is only in theaters your kind of your first feature or have you made other stuff before that i have made other stuff from that i i did a, did a feature for pbs it was nominated for an emmy called la foodways um i did another feature called uh tricky part which is you know did the did the whole festival circuit and then this is my third feature but done other you know series and stuff that i've directed and produced as well yeah so what got you into making this film and this subject matter like what was your source of inspiration yeah, you know, I mean, I, thanks for the intro, and and I'm and I'm glad that that it reached you. I mean, I you know, this is a story ultimately about a family business. It is a fourth generation family business, and the astounding thing about this this family is that they happen to have touched every part of the movie industry. That I mean, there's been a Lemley in the movie business since there's been a movie business. What originally kind of attracted me to the idea was there's this wall that we feature prominently in the in the film, which really spoke to this legacy, this incredible legacy of this family. You know, the original Lemley, Carl Lemley, is one of the first moguls of Hollywood. And, you know, astoundingly, well, this isn't the this isn't the kind of the run up to the story, but perhaps other filmmakers will find this interesting, which is just that Carl Emily was this sort of a German Jew who came to America who really couldn't get a job because he was a Jew and he wanted to be an engineer and or, a, you know, had aspirations for other things, but ended up working in dry goods. And the story was that he was working in a dry goods one day and he saw people lining up at a place of business, leaving money behind and taking nothing with them. What was it? It was a Nickelodeon. It was the first movie theater. And he thought oh, I like that. I want to do that. And so he was a guy who literally saved pennies, saved pennies, and he ultimately had enough money to get one. And then it did very well and then did more and then wanted to make his own movie. And and what happened was he came up against the Edison Trust. Thomas Edison had figured out a way to kind of patent all of the technology around the actual making of movies. And so what happened was the, you know, the Edison Trust sued him because he was going to try and make his own movie. And he said, that's ridiculous. He said, you know, movie making began in Europe. This isn't, you know, they can't own movies. And so what happened was that he took them to the Supreme Court, got all the way to the Supreme Court and won. And because of that, we have independent movies today, literally because of Lemley. So Mm. this was a story to sort of, you know, this legacy story and many, many, many other aspects of this, some of which I knew and some of which I discovered, seemed like an appealing window into the movie. But then what happened was a series of, you know, I guess there are two kinds of documentaries, right? There's the kind where you kind of have a very set sort of story that you want to tell, sort of an idea of, you know, this is a window of beginning, middle, and end that I want to shoot. And then you do that. You set out to do it and you do it. And there's another kind, which is far riskier, where you basically kind of start and you don't really know where the ending is. You don't really know where it's going to take you. And 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 again, that's what happened here is it just kind of like the carpet just kept rolling out and I just kept sort of following it. This ultimately also happened during a time, 
I mean, it's a very challenging time for movie theaters, and, and I and I don't want to sugarcoat that. However, for this te- the telling of this story, what happened was that as we got deeper into it, it sort of backed into this larger zeitgeist about what is the future of movie theaters? What what do we lose when and if they're gone? What does it mean to filmmakers? What does it mean to you know the kinds of movies that people are even interested in watching? It affects us on so many different levels. And and, and what does it mean for the next generation of filmmakers? A lot of really fancy film. Filmmakers spoke to me because of what movie theaters meant to them. People like Cameron Crowe, who never talks to anyone. I'm told uh, Avery Fernay, James Ivory, you know Leonard Malton. A lot of, I mean, he's not a filmmaker, but but he's a film critic. Uh, Bruce Joel Rubin, who won the Oscar for Ghost. Anyway, a lot of a lot of these filmmakers had been inspired by their movie experience and 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 a movie in the theater experience Alison Anders another one and th- the fact is that movie theaters matter and so this was an opportunity to be able to sort of tell a story about a family a family business and then this larger thing which is what is the future of movie theaters yeah for sure yeah a very compelling topic and obviously i think a, a lot of my listeners will as independent filmmakers will connect to that because almost by circumstance, like like nobody really necessarily wanted it this way, at least in the filmmaking world, but we've just turned so heavily to streaming. And so many filmmakers now are just focused on how they're get, going to get their films streamed. So few, I think, are even thinking about showing their movies in movie theaters anymore, you know, but that I think that the, the dream is still there, I think, for a lot of filmmakers, certainly for me as a filmmaker to be able to see my movie up on the big screen somewhere, somehow, you know, and the fact that it's getting harder and harder to do that, not just because it's harder as a filmmaker, but because the movie theaters are going away as well, you know, both of those things kind of colliding. It's a, it's kind of a sad story. And you just kind of wonder, like, where's it going to go? And how are we going to how are we going to rise out of this and find a way to continue to keep independent film, really real, true independent film alive, right. by the making and the showing of them, you know? So yeah, that's a hundred percent right. I mean, I, I mean, look, you know, over the past two years, I mean, you know, movie theater box office is some of the biggest it's ever, ever been. Right. I mean, the Star Wars, the Avatar, the, you know, Top Gun, I mean, these, you know, Super Mario recently, you know, the, these right. movies have done, you know, crazy business. So people going to the movies, despite whatever streaming opportunities there are, they still go, right? There's still a business there. And the whole day and date thing, which is which was um, where studios were releasing their, their movie, you know, in a theater tepidly and then online the same day, they realized, wow, we've basically left you know, a gajillion dollars on the on the floor, and we need to kind of revise that idea so that that's been jettisoned. And thank God, and and movies are going to theaters if for no other reason to help their streaming after afterlife. Uh, you know, the the question is whether or not they'll go to smaller movies that is independent theaters, and that and that's really where we all have to continue to sort of our considered effort to continue going to movies. I mean, I, you know, it's like vote with your butt, you know what I mean? It's like get yep. your butt seat and kind of go. Um, it's so easy to kind of sit back. The, the issue is, as you say, any filmmaker wants their movie in a, it, on a big screen uh, straight up. Like, I don't care how many movies you've made, how many hard drives are full with all of the, you know, your, your opus, get the to a movie theater because that, that that's, that will be where you, you and the audience have that sort of, extraordinary transference of what that experience yeah. is. Yeah. Sorry huh. to interrupt, but just to 
emphasize that it's not just about the big screen. It's not about the size of the screen. It's about the shared experience of experiencing movies with an audience. As a filmmaker, it's it's being up in front of that audience and talking to them and the Q and A's and stuff like that. And as a as a as a film viewer, it's that experience of just being with people. It's a social event, even if everybody's eyes are on the screen and not. It's a it's a community event, and it's you know right. it's it's like sitting around the campfire listening to stories. You know, ten thousand years ago, like we need that. We need that in our culture. We can't all just be in these bubbles in our little individual rooms watching our, our screens. We'd lose something if we go I mean, that direction. So yeah. we're social animals, right? And and we know uh, that you know uh, loneliness and depression and chronic loneliness and anxiety have sort of gone through the roof during the past few years because of our isolation. Any opportunity to sort of be with a group of people is important. I believe that you know the emotional impact of a movie even a small movie. So like one of the first movies that I went to see was No Man Land in a theater when, when theaters yeah. reopened and, yeah. and no great movie. There were five people in the theater when I went to see it because it was so brand new in terms of seeing. It absolutely blew me out of my seat. I couldn't yeah. believe how impactful it was. Now it's a quiet, small movie. Mm-hmm. The, the misconception, I believe, or the dangerous misconception is that small movie means you can watch it on a small device. I I, I don't think anything could be farther from the truth. I, I you know, the the this the quietness of sort of a, an intimate independent film like that was was so much more impactful on a on a large screen. So it, it's just a reminder. I mean, yes, you know, isn't it great that we have streaming and it's not going 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 anywhere. Yeah. But but you know, this 125 year old art form, you know, was created for a group of people to come to a piece of real estate that is dedicated to that un, you know uninhibited un, uninterrupted sort of environment where you get to actually be in a space with a screen larger than you that then allows you to basically lift up and into it in a way so that you can sort of be taken and and that's yeah. that's really what it's about that's why you know again as a reminder, you know, like I think we've perhaps a whole bunch of us, A, have gotten out of the habit because we couldn't go. And then B, is like, well, it's so easy and we'll just sit on our couch. You know, haven't we communed with our couch enough, you know, over the last <laughs> couple of years? Isn't it worth, you know, being like, oh, God, I should go out. I, I believe, you know, it's also kind of a call to action, right? That's that's ultimately yeah. what this is too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, absolutely. And you you feel that. I mean, you feel... Greg almost, you know, he's not literally doing it, but you feel him begging people to just come and and watch movies. And and you feel, you know, that could be because he's worried about his the future of his family and his ability to make money and stuff like that. And you know, un, undoubtedly that's that's part of it, but you also just feel that he loves movie theaters and loves what he does and loves bringing movies to to audiences in that environment. He is, you know, wishing that it that that doesn't go away and that his part to play in that world doesn't go away and you, you really uh-huh. feel that from him so yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. You're, you're talking about greg remley who's the subject yeah. of the of the doc and and greg um is the ceo of this family business and he you know really is tested through the journey yeah. of this and you know what becomes clear is his personal sense of mission and that mission is you know, not always about making money. That mission is about, you know, continuing to do what he loves. And, you know, he had no editorial control over this. He basically mm-hmm. gave us free reign and allowed That's us to great. do it. The first time that he watched the movie was in front of an audience at the Santa wow. Barbara Festival a year ago. And uh, pretty brave, pretty, because yep. it's, it's pretty revealing and, yep. and intimate, you know, this yep. movie um, and portrait of him and his family. 
I have heard, and I can only imagine, and I was very nervous, of course, when when it, we were all there together. But it had to be very tough to 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 watch it. And, sure. and that said, I I think he's gotten an enormous amount of of really positive response. I mean, critically, we've done extremely well, and 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 personally, he's had a huge amount of people kind of come to him and say thank you, or that was my experience, or, you know, your your struggle has given me inspiration or given me strength to keep going, and or, you know, we really appreciate your mission, you know, to keep yeah. bringing things to people. And and what I, what I didn't know, which is something that probably good I didn't know, is how Greg Lumley is in many ways sort of a pope. He's so regarded as a, as sort of a person who carries the flame of of independent cinema, independent foreign and and documentary films, and what he does is so regarded around uh, around the country, sort of and, and internationally. And and I didn't know to the extent of that. In a way, I'm sort of glad I didn't know because it would have been a little bit uh, more intimidating, I, I believe. But but his his you know who he is and what his personal submission is and what we all believe in as filmmakers he really he really embodies that in a way and i think a lot of people look to him as a as a sort of a north star yeah i mean he's he's he really is unique in that respect because he's not like the ceo of like this huge you know conglomerate corporation kind of faceless thing that puts out movies you know he's the ceo of a small family business and yet he he's so connected with the industry and so connected to all of these people in the industry i i don't think there's anybody else like him or like that in the world so yeah. it's really an interesting story and an interesting person and it just it's you know it struck me as watching the movie like how oh, how could Lemley Theaters go out of business or whatever it is you know sell to you know I don't know you know sell to big theaters or whatever like how could that happen it like if there's one independent set of theaters anywhere it should be them that survives if they can't survive then you know like and the Angelica in New York you know is that next you know like like the the the, the institutions of our movie watching experience in America if if Lemley goes then what will be left you know so yeah 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 so um you know the hope look at the end was that I I wanted to make a movie that you know obviously spoke to some of the themes and some of the things that maybe you and 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 the people listening to this po- podcast care about deeply, which is movies yeah. and cinema, but also the hope was that we could also make a film about a family, because um, the family is what really sort of touched my heart and what really took that I took the journey with, you know, there yeah, was this yeah. family, my family also were, you know, Ukrainian Jews, you know, came to New York and opened a, you know, a shmata business, a, a fabric business in, in, in the garment district and, and, and in the Bronx and, there's something about that immigrant drive to come and try and feed your family and take care of you know the next generation that that just re- really spoke to me in a, in a powerful yeah. way and and so that that's hopefully above and beyond just being sort of a you know talk about movie issues yeah. hopefully it also spoke, speaks to it in a larger kind of american way yeah. you know the the like the last family farm or the you know the last bookstore kind of you know the the family business aspects of uh, and the challenges of that yeah, for sure. And and I I certainly don't mean to ignore that aspect of it because I think that's where documentaries are the strongest is when they connect, you know, a, a sort of an issue and a, and a and a and a larger concern with a very human story. And I think your film does that admirably. And in particular, I think like you know, the 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 relationship that he has with his wife is just 
heartwarming. They they are such a they just seem like <laughs> you know, the the stuff they're going through, and for her to just kind of stand by and support and and be able to he's she's sort of the the positive kind of trying to pull him up out of the pit of despair all the time, you know, and and they just seem perfectly matched in that way. So very moving relationship there. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> so was this made like completely independently? Did you have private investors? Did you have crowdfunding, anything like that to the extent that you can and are willing to comment on that? If not, that's totally fine. But yeah, um, no, I mean, yeah. this, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about what, what I, I mean, I didn't do crowdfunding. I, if, if I were to do this again, I would do crowdfunding. Hmm. I, by the time that I was ready to do crowdfunding, it was kind of too close to when, when I wanted to release the film. What happened in my case was that I, you know, put some of my own money in this and then these series of events happened. So I had to basically kind of follow it. And, and, and it happened, you know, it's like the train's leaving the station, either you get on it or you, or you don't, you know? And so I, I did, that's great to kind of keep up with it. What, what happened was that several of the key department heads, that's my editor, my sound person and my DP really donated an enormous amount of their time for, for little or nothing. And I had deferments with them. Mm-hmm. So that allowed me to kind of get this done. You know, I, how do you, I think at some point we all realized that it was an important story and it was an important story for, you know, both their business, um, but that we were sort of part of something that felt like also an historical document as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I did try to do, I, did, I got some grant money. I was able to work with a grant writer to kind of help me gather some of that. Not enough. I had reached out to some, you know, independent financing places to sort of see if they wanted to jump in. And at the time, everyone said, this looks great, but, you know, wasn't the right time for them. It was also obviously mm-hmm. at some point that was in the kind of just as we were going into the pandemic and theaters were closing, it, be- it became harder to find places to kind of say people to say yes. Um, and, and in addition to that, it was moving fast. So I did find some individuals who were able to kind of invest in the film and, and they, you know, supported again, you know, the, the mission spoke to them and and what they what they were hoping to do really was participate in them making it get you know get completed and so yep. between a combination of all of those things somehow we got it we got it done you know look any movie is an, is somewhere between an act of enormous you know courageousness and and insanity i you know it's so unbelievably hard to get it done and to get it done well we all have our personal challenges in our life, you know, like family or relationships or kids or, you know, other financial pressures that you then have to kind of, you know, as an independent filmmaker, somehow be able to figure out a way to throw another pack on the camel, as it were, so you can sort of be doing everything that you're normally doing and your movie and finishing it and delivering it. And, and, you know, the actual filming and making of it was an enormous task. We shot it over two and a half years, right? So, it wasn't like a weekend at Bernie's thing. It was like a, it was a, it was a big, it was a big effort. Uh, now, I made two other films during that time, but the filming took place over a long period of time. Uh, you know, the other films that I've done have been either, you know, involved with the network or they've, or they have not necessarily required this level of concerted distribution effort. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea what, what to do next. I literally had never done this before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole, like, I'm just going to make a good movie, you know, kind of thought was kind of the, you know, at least initial intent. What I learned was it was so, holy Moses, it's a, it's literally like a, it's, it becomes like a third of your movie. Yeah. Um, that is the marketing 
and the distribution and the and in this case being able to sort of figure out a way to kind of get people to find it it's a giant giant effort and and i effectively did that solo we we you know the people or the places that we went out to i mean yes we went out to netflix and yes we went out to places like hulu or you know other other sort of large streaming entities that might want to acquire it the response that I would hear back would be, you know, lovely movie, but not for us, or the timings are right, or Netflix is not acquiring movies, or, you know, and 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 we we went to good film festivals, but not the top tier, not the I didn't get into Sundance. Film wasn't completely finished. Um apparently we we were inches away from getting to South by, but it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to Tribeca. So what happened was Without the top tier film festivals, it's also a little harder to get the kind of attention we wanted. Anyone who saw the film was moved, and certainly anyone in the business who also shares the kind of the passion for the subject would go, wow. We started to get some early press, and the press was really solid. But but again, what, what I heard or what was going on was, and this is where we are now, is that of the 2% of the films, 2% that actually get into something like Sundance... If you're lucky to get in, like insane, like literally like lottery ticket, luckery, lucky to get in, that even that is not a promise of the fact that you'll get distribution. And and why? Because um, in this case, A, well, we know the streamers are uh, under sort of a their own constriction uh, or contraction, as it were, because hey, maybe gee whiz, this is not a business. It's been an arms race, trying to sort of who's got the most toys under the hood, as it were acquiring you know a small independent doc without a name director or any big name you know kind of stars attached even though we had some very substantial a-list directors that we spoke to yeah. you know i don't know that that you know whatever netflix could or would have given us what the minimum guarantee that they would have given us would have actually been big enough to actually help me offset you know what what we had into it and and yeah. and because of my desire to want to pay back my my investors if nothing else and my deferments i mean that's been my goal you know for the people that believed in me mm-hmm. how do i basically restore you know uh, basically say okay we did this and we did this well what 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 i heard though from other filmmakers as well as and also the stuff that i was reading was that you know more and more and more filmmakers who couldn't get those sharp, bright, shiny deals that we used to hear about, those million-dollar deals that we used to hear about. I mean, yeah, of course, there was a $22 million deal this past year in Sundance, but it's more the exception than the rule, yeah. and um, and a whole lot of films didn't get picked up. Where where are the outlets? You know, where do you go? How do you actually find, you know, a way? And and what I um, – I mean, we did we did the festival thing, you know, obviously the festival, the festivals are opportunities to basically, you know, promote your film to be able to maximize the screening opportunities as much as you can to do a outreach into the community and elsewhere to make as much noise as you can yep. using the using the festival. That That's what that is. And uh, again, it depends on the festival you get into. Um, yeah. Some of those you can, some of those you can't. We are obviously competing with a lot of other films at those festivals who are also competing for noise. But you know, anything we could do in that regard was helpful. The next tier of this was then trying to figure out, okay, so where do we, who, who's going to pick it up? Who's going to distribute it? And then what what's going to happen? I ended up working with a, a company called the Film Collaborative. Mm-hmm. The Film Collaborative really, their model was booking the film 
into what would be not like a week run, but maybe sometimes one-offs mm-hmm. and or you know, event sort of event screenings. Yep. Yep. And um we did we did play for a week at at many theaters, but mm-hmm. but fact is that there were also there are opportunities where people will come out for an individual movie. Mm-hmm. And so the thought was okay, how do we how do we maximize that? So they were responsible for being able to kind of find theaters that you know responded to it and then would program it. And every time we did that, we would promote it in that in that market. Yeah. From from there, then we you know we played in this case we played Jewish film festivals because there's a it's about a Jewish family. We we played Jewish film festivals. We played film societies. We played art house cinemas. And each of those in each of those outlets, what we would do is we would then promote that and give it you know as much of an opportunity as we can to kind of really again do uh, outreach in the, into that community. We did, you know, ads and various things, marketing, you know, any opportunity to be able to kind of talk about the film and let people know about it, let people know about the themes about it. And how do you sort of basically kind of get up and up and over the noise? I believe that were I to do this again, I would really pause before I would do it again, right? Because hmm. it's just such an enormous thing. Yeah. The the marketing part of this is a, is a giant one. Yep. Giant. Yep. And, you know... It's not enough that you made a good movie. It's just not enough. What happens is the the kind of the the, the sheer ice face that you that you really come that you walk into once you once you once you've got your movie is breathtaking. Mm-hmm. It's breathtaking, you know, because you know I certainly as an actor and, and again because of the, my experiences, you know, working with either networks or you know the stuff that I, other stuff that I've produced have had sort of outlets and or opportunities to find an audience right this was a straight up indie film and i'm going up against in this case you know films being produced out of you know uh national geographic or you know again whoever these are big movies big flashy directors with big budgets and big big marketing budgets mm-hmm. one of the things that i would do where i do this again was that i would start as I'm thinking about the movie, that is, as you know, if you're making your movie, Colin, and you're thinking about what you want to do next, is is now begin to actually do the marketing plan, mm-hmm. the marketing before you start shooting. That is including, you know, uh, basically figuring out a way to marry a really good graphic artist. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Or someone in your family who has those skills. already married and she's not a graphic artist, so that's not going to help. So, but, yeah. <laughs> you can put your kid into graphic artist school. <laughs> not a bad I idea. Um, <laughs> right. uh, you know, finding a way that you can really partner with a graphic person who can really give you the look and the feel and the dynamic of of the movie. In addition to that. Really, you know, trying to really shore up your networks, whether it be, you know, your your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram. I'm I'm not a big TikToker. I'm I'm just I'm just not. But I I, I know I'm in the minority in that regard. But TikTok, uh, as well as and also, you know, LinkedIn, you know, a- any kind of an outlet that really is a is an opportunity for you to reach out. Right. And and you know, maintaining a sort of a steady. A steady presence there, and and a, a presence that then helps people know that you're something or someone to kind of connect to. Yeah, that, that's important. In addition to that, 
you know, really setting up both the domains, that is the websites and or again, you know, as you go taking the photos so that you have the stills <clears throat> and providing the galleries, you know, as you go. If you do crowdsourcing, the upside of the crowdsourcing is that that's another way to actually kind of, I mean, I, I did do crowdsourcing on another project years ago. You know, it, it's a huge amount of work. Yeah, huge. In that's what itself. I've heard. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you still like, oh my, it's like producing your own movie. It's a whole yep. other movie. The crowdsourcing is is obviously it's wonderful if, if if you can get the money, but beyond that, it's actually sort of a way to also sort of get awareness and or fans because I gave you ten bucks, so I'm a fan of your project because I'm interested in seeing how my ten bucks gets utilized, <clears throat> you know, in the long term. So so that is a I think probably a really good and and smart way early on to to build awareness about your movie, you know, and then you know be able to have enough money sort of saved mm -hmm. uh, somehow or earmarked that is designated for your marketing. And what is that? Yep. What's the marketing? The marketing is Facebook ads, Instagram ads, YouTube ads, banners. I found to be very expensive places that people would find them, but I, maybe there are people much smarter than I that would know about what those are. Being able to <laughs> work with someone perhaps who can sort of be, you know, really in the front end of your social media kind mm -hmm. of um, arrow as it were uh, you know there, there's a lot of there's so much in the so much. world that's just like it, it's just sort of an endless um sort of stream of you know really it, it's a place where you know personally i get a little overwhelmed because it's just yep. there's so much while i certainly as an actor have you know really worked with social media and i and i really do see the wonderful impact of how one can actually connect with you know directly with our fans i mean that's the wonderful thing i sometimes get there's just not enough time in the day to respond yep. to everyone and then I, and then i feel badly <laughs> i'm like uh, i don't know yep. that, that's just my that's you my can own. only do so much right like, but having yeah. someone you know, help manage all of yep. that is is hugely important yes and and so all of these things when you think about being a filmmaker it's about being able to visually tell a story that then ultimately combines multiple mediums that's you know both the image and then you know the art of acting and then the art of script structure and then the music the mm -hmm. color correction the the graphics on screen and, and and then the you know the precise and and really careful edit and cut all of those disciplines each one of them is insanely difficult and mm -hmm. and able to and people that do it well i literally they walk on water as far as I'm concerned. They're they're that they're that good. I'm aware of the fact that that in of itself should be enough, but it's not. Yeah. It's just not. It, it's just the iceberg. It just comes down to there's so much noise out there. Mm -hmm. So much noise. And there's so much competing for people's attention. In, in a devastating conversation I had with a friend of mine who's a professor of acting at NYU, she told me that her students don't like watching movies because they can't concentrate that long. I mean, this is what TikTok and social media has done to our attention spans. Yeah. We've got the attention spans of goldfish. You know, truly, if it's not more than three seconds, they can't watch it. So, so with all of that, with all of this kind of noise, I mean, 
the making and the and the creation of a great story driven by, in this case, the passion of the filmmaker. Because I I go back to like, okay, you may have the you may have the script, you may have the actors, you may have the DP, you got everything, and, and you've got just enough money to get yourself in trouble. And what's the one thing you need? Passion. You need passion. That that isn't just also driven to me anyway. That's not just sort of about ego. It's got to be about a, a, something about the story that's got to really kind of connect to you and in you so that you can carry this football a very, very, very long way. I, you know, the kind of the look at me approach to filmmaking, f- filmmaking. I, I mean, I look, there are many, many people who do that very well. I, I just, in an independent, in an independent way, it, it's, it's just not for the weak of heart. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of dark nights of the soul, just candidly. And I, and I, you know, for all intents and purposes, I mean, I, you know, the, the movie has, has been critically acclaimed. We've played in 80 theaters. We're now on various platforms. We're now on Amazon. We're on demand. We're on airplanes. We're now, we're on Canopy. We're on another, edu- which is Educational Swank, which is also educational. We're, Kino Lorber is doing the DVD this summer. Mm-hmm. And it will ultimately be on advertiser supported, you know, like to be kind of television come fall. So we, we, we have kind of, done what you can do. Shy of Netflix picking us up, which would have been swell, other than the fact is that, again, friends of mine that have done that have either gotten such small, locked-in minimum guarantees that don't really do anything other than kind of lock you into... It's just, per- it's just prestige, really, more than anything else, because you right. lose... But here's the other problem with that, is that you're on, like, hey, I'm on Netflix, but so's a gajillion other yeah. filmmakers. This is the effed up thing about streaming is that if people aren't watching movies like your movie, the algorithm won't serve it to them. It won't even like, like suggest it to them. In other words, you will live an ignominious kind of uh, like, yeah, I'm on Netflix, but no one knows about it. I'm kind of, like, kind of world. And, and that's the other hard thing. So, so you go, well, how, if the goal of the film is to a serve the story, tell a great film, have people essentially get to a place where they feel genuinely moved by the experience of the movie and that are intrigued and interested and perhaps you've critically gotten some strong response. What is that all about? Well, hopefully that's about, Hey, you want to make another movie, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, like I love this movie and, and some, someday I'd like to make another one, not right at the moment. Cause I'm still, yeah. I'm still covering for the last, <laughs> right, right. Right. but, but, um, um, and that's financially as well as also just even just sort of psychically, right. Cause it's, yep. it's, but, but the, the fact is that it requires a, a full court press in a way that I, that was surprising to me. And I, I'm sorry, I've gone on for a long time. I hope, I hope this. No, that's me. no, totally fine. I mean, you've, you've touched a lot of very important topics, I think along the way, and I couldn't agree more with, just about everything you said, I can't really think of anything that I have any uh, objection to at all. If there's if there's anything if there's anything to be learned from all of that, it's that a filmmaker going into making an independent film these days, it cannot just be about the filmmaking. It's got to be about more than that. It's got to be about audience building. It's got to be about connecting. It's got to be about you know th- those promotional efforts. You know, which can run the gamut from you know straight conventional methods of promotion to very creative things. And you can get into a very creative process in in promotion after your film is made. But you have to be willing and able to stick with it. And I think that like you have to be willing and able to find a way to love it. 
because if you don't love it, you're not going to be able to do it. I don't really love it. I don't really love it that much. The idea that once I make my film, I have to go out and market it, but I love it enough. I'm passionate enough about being able to share my own voice with people. I don't know. Maybe that's an arrogant thing to do, but that's what we're, that's what we're all kind of doing. Right. I'm passionate enough about wanting to do that, that I will be passionate about that promotional effort. And I think if you don't have that mindset, probably need to just walk away and go find something else to do in this yeah, day. And age. Yeah. I mean, it, it you know? requires, it requires like everything you possibly have. And then a hundred percent more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. The, the, in terms of like the actual making the movie and then the kind of the, the promotion of the movie. Yeah. So it, that, so yes, you having that passion is, is like, you know, that's to me, it's like the most important one on the list. Yeah. Other than, you know, your idea. Right. But, yeah. but basically that, that passion is, is everything. Yeah. Uh, if if you don't mind and, and feel free to decline to answer this question, but I, I'm wondering if you could comment on the on your budget, your production budget. Is that are you able to share that? I, I'm or, not sure if I, I, I want to go into it in great detail, but I can yeah. sort of say is that, you know, we made it far less than it should have been because of the deferments. You know, it wasn't an expensive movie, but mm-hmm. but it was more expensive than I ever anticipated. And and again, a lot of that felt to me, you know, in addition to making the film. uh figuring out the marketing, I also had to figure out, you know, how to be able to raise the money. You know, had I done the crowdfunding earlier, that probably would have been a good thing. Probably recommend that to other filmmakers. Although I, I, I know that it's a, as a silver bullet is not necessarily always the case now anymore because there's been so many people that have done it. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't guarantee you'll. No, it's just another arena in which you're competing with, you know, (laughs) so many other people out there. uh, You know, just like you're going to be ultimately competing to get audiences. Now you're competing just to get these, you know, get money out of the crowd, (laughs) you know. Yeah, yeah, that's Um, right. So you have to then really produce another, you have to produce another kick ass campaign that's going to bring people in and then give them perks that will then entice them into sort of saying, okay, well, if I've got, you know, a hundred different things that I can donate to. Why is this one so interesting? Right. And, 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 you know, that, that's, that's capitalism. That's the, you know, why, why go to this restaurant for that one or, you know, any number of those things, but perhaps there's something good about that because you have to then really sort of ask yourself, like define for yourself, what am I doing? If I'm a horror movie, what, what is my hook as it were? (laughs) Excuse the pun. Uh, what is my <laughs> unique horror angle that that I'm going to bring to this? That isn't just another something jumping out of the closet. You know, how do I and how do I define that? You know, obviously in a, in an arena like horror where where it's flooded with other projects because it's generally a, a, a kind of a genre that does return its money and or is you know seems to be a voracious audience. Mm-hmm. Figuring out how you do something, whether it's the way it's shot, you know the actors involved or sort of a unique story angle that kind of really is really outside the box things, you know, I I guess would be defined as you began to kind of do your crowdfunding and, and I think could potentially be a maybe useful on the back end because you would sort of sort of figured out, okay, you know, this is the part of my voice that is unique. That Uh is asking for something that's, Unlike others, or, or or similar enough to ones that have been successful for me, you know. Yeah, achieving a certain 
distinctiveness. I mean, I think if you go back and you look at the history of independent films that have come from nowhere and been successful, they're, they're all distinct. They all, whether by design or not, they all found some kind of way to to distinguish themselves from those before them. And so I think that if you're really fixated on having a highly successful movie, then I think you've got to be able to ask yourself those hard questions right from the beginning is, do I have something that's distinct? Do I have something that's going to separate itself from all of this other noise that's out there? And I, right. you know, to be honest with you, I don't really think that that's necessarily the way that you need to go with every movie. I think there are filmmakers who are best served making a couple of really cheap, but with passion and love, you know, sort of experiments, you know, not trying to, not trying to bite off too much, you know, more than they can chew at the time. Make them really cheap so that you're not sinking everything into that one and take a few movies to figure out what your voice is. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's not that's not what I'm doing. I'm too old for that. But if you're in your 20s and you're looking at trying to be a filmmaker for, you know, the, the rest of your life, like, I think that's a perfectly good way to go. But, you know, that being said, like, if you really are in that school of like, I'm just going to sink everything into this, this is a very important kind of project to me, then yeah, you have to ask yourself those hard questions is do I have a voice here? Do I have something unique to say do i have something that's going to separate me from all of that other noise that's out there you know so yeah for what it's worth agreed. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Oh, agreed, agreed i mean i guess it's like starting a business right like you know yeah. hey i want i want to open a uh a coffee shop you know right. like what what right. what you know what's my audience and yeah. how do i find them and what's my unique you know advantage my business yeah. advantage it it's harder yeah. though i think because i think that like the audience for movies is much more fickle and unpredictable than the audience for coffee shops. Not that, you know, coffee shop is an easy decision, but there are certain questions that you ask. And with movies, I, I'm not even sure if anybody knows all the questions to ask, you know, you know who was it? Well, William Goldman or something said that nobody knows anything, you know, no, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. right. And, and just, you know, I, that, that, that holds from the biggest studio exec on down to the smallest independent filmmaker. Nobody knows. Yeah. It's that all right. risk-taking. And I think it all comes back to that idea that you ultimately at the at the end of the day, you have to have the passion for it because there's no guarantee of success of any kind ever. And you have to be able to look back on it. At least this is my perspective. You have to be able to look back on it and and take joy in the fact that you did it, whether it was successful or not. And if you're if you're if the success of it is that important to you that when you're at the end of the line and you're looking back at it and saying, oh, that was a big fucking waste of time, then you shouldn't have done it in the first place, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think everything you said is, is dead right. I think it's dead right. And, and I, and I, you know, I, I guess just mostly, I mean, if, again, as, if anyone's were to listen to this conversation and, and is thinking about a film, I, what I would, you know, what I would say is just that there's a lot of opportunities to have starry eyes about it all. And, yeah. and it's really just worth really thinking about what is involved because it's not just the making of the movie yep. so much more. And then the distribution aspect of it and what, what, you know, the choices that you make, you know, I ended up making a decision to go, you know, in this case on demand because um, the potential, the upside potential was higher than as I was looking at even potential MGs from, from streamers, giving me more of an opportunity to be able to have an upside. Yep. You know, than being locked into a number that we know would just basically sink, you know, sink me in terms of my ability to kind of do it again. Yeah. I mean, you have really hard choices in today's streaming marketplace, I think, because if you're going to go down the, you know, the 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 MG 
you know, sell to Netflix or whatever, assuming you even have that opportunity, they're going to, as you've said, they're going to give you so little money these days for that. And yet you're selling away, you're like kind of your exclusive rights. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the deals are, but I, that's what I understand is that you like, once you're on Netflix, you're not able to put it up on Amazon, that kind of thing. Right. So, but you right. put it on an up on Amazon, you could, you know, the sky's the limit but you're getting one or two cents per viewing of your movie, you know? So how how high can you really reach when you're getting that, you know? Tubi seems like kind of a big thing, especially in the horror movie world these days, you know? It seems like the filmmakers get a more significant portion of the revenue per view and audiences are eating it up. Audiences are tired of paying for subscription fees and rental fees and they're happy to watch advertisements, I guess, which is, you know, kind of ironic because we're back to where we were in the fifties <laughs> you know, with right. how we watch movies, but you know, I, or, you know, how we watch whatever it is, you know, but I don't know. Um, so yeah, it, they're, they're all hard, hard choices. And, uh, you know, also I think it's, there's some irony in that we're talking about streaming here, but you've made a movie about watching movies in movie theaters, you know, and one would hope that that would be the primary means by which you could look to make your revenue, but I don't think it is, you know, you could comment no, differently I mean, we, on that. We, but. I made a movie, you know, that was called only in theaters and I yeah. committed to it not being seen only on streaming, you know? So yeah. We, um, that's why we did this 80 theater run. Yeah. When you did that, were you four walling or, or, or did you get a lot of offers to screen your movie? Offers to screen the movie. And then okay. there was a, you know, basically we would do a split with a split. With, with the theater. So right. that worked. And some of those houses were big and some of those houses were not so big. That's just kind of the way any movie theaters at this point, it, it's tricky, but, but the film seemed to speak to a lot of people. So that's yeah. why we had yeah. opportunities. And I was, uh, you know, again, I was very grateful for that, but it, 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 it didn't cost me to essentially put it in the theaters, which was, right. which is a whole other experience uh, or a whole other number that one has to kind of really yeah. uh, grapple with. If that's the case. Did you put a lot of, efforts into promoting the screenings and so there are expenses there that you yep. have to absorb like the theater is going to do some for you but if you really want to be able to promote it generally you'd probably have to do a lot of it yourself yeah. um and there's and, postcards and then there's the poster itself and then the physical yeah. with the ship and, and, and i kind of sorry and i kind of wonder like when you look at that like given that every theater every theater you go to probably has its own little mini promotional campaign you have to do and its own little mini expenditures like do the numbers work out? Do you end up making a profit on each of those screenings once you do those promotional efforts and get people to show up? Some you do and some you don't. Some it's yeah. all but 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 some but what you hope is that that being is that you then have the next phase, which is basically then the the streaming phase. Mm -hmm. That even if people didn't come out to see the movie, that they mm -hmm. use the opportunity to hear about it, or the people that were there told their told tell their friends and say, oh, "God, I saw this great film. Right. Uh, you should see it." And people go like, "Oh, oh, I heard about this." So that yep. that you're building word of mouth. So there is some loss leader involved in some of this. Some yep. of them were very successful. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it's like it's like a political campaign. How do you build awareness for your candidate, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, you know, your movie is a political candidate that, that needs to show up and kiss a lot of babies and shake a lot of hands. Right? So right. Um, th that's what that's what these opportunities were. And, and I yeah. saw that as a real upside. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that that's paid off at all? Or is it? Have you? Are, yeah, I mean, those numbers, tell yet? Those, those numbers are still being sorted out. I'm waiting to get yeah. those accounts. But it, it appears that 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 was a valuable thing. And, and I yeah. and I. Again, in terms of the awareness of the film, what it also did was it gave us more, we got more reviews, yep. you know, it, it gave us more opportunities for, you know, the ability to kind of, you know, recoup our money.
Right. I mean, I think there's a certain, even today, and I, you know, this may be changing, but I think there's a certain legitimacy that goes along with having a movie that shows in a movie theater, you know, like that, that there's, it's sort of a rite of passage, like this movie is vetted. And so that will tend to bring more eyeballs to it when it is streaming, I think, you know, even if you just drive by the movie theater and see it on the marquee, and then you're at home that night flipping through, you know, your Netflix or whatever it is. And, you know, you might think, oh, I want to check this movie out, or you see it and you're like, oh, I, you know, I've heard yeah. of this. And I tell you, every time I was able to be at a theater where it was on the marquee, it was like literally like a, it was a, it was a shot of lightning, you know, just a, <laughs> we open in LA, we open in New York, we open in Boston, we open in, in the Bay area and, and um, you know, in terms of markets and, and we had people come to theaters to see it. And, and that yeah. was, uh, you know, sometimes that required us to do more Q and A's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Lemley was very kind. He and Tish Lemley, his wife, you spoke about, they, they both did Q&As with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually doing a Q&A. So Vidiots is opening a new theater in LA. Mm-hmm. Vidiots is sort of a famous, infamous video rental house in right. LA. Around when, when Blockbuster collapsed, they remained and it was sort of, you know, hollow ground for a lot of filmmakers looking for other films to kind of watch and or films that you can find. And they uh, have basically gathered resources and have now opened the theater uh, in LA, which is a video theater, which is so cool. They just literally opened a couple of days ago. And so we're going to be, we're going to be showing on July 8th again, you know, in a theater at the new video theater. Um, And and every, you know, Greg's Greg and Tish are flying in. I'm going to fly in And, and, you know, being there, doing the Q and A's, kind of having an opportunity to, to eventize the screening was also a way to kind of continue to bring people to come out. You know, look, there, uh, there's the way that I did it. I'm certain there are people that do it so much better than I do. Uh, I'm always interested in hearing, you know, what else is available out there. You know, we had a very specific road. We had a very specific kind of movie. You know, it's a in the in small independent doc about a family business. You know that obviously has a somewhat of its own uh, market, but it also has its own unique challenges. So each film has its own, you know, opportunities and challenges. The, the fact is that it sounds great, and yet it also costs money, right? So, yep. so it is yep. like it isn't like, hey, I'm going to just basically, you know, go show in movie theaters and and print money. Yep. Um, the fact is that every part of that has its own expenses attached to it. Yep, but, sure. but, you know, it's a lot easier to kind of create an event to people come to. It's like a, like a concert as opposed to a week, you know, it's like, you know, Bruce Springsteen can sell out the garden for a week, but right. you know, and a lot of other artists can. So you have to figure out a way to kind of like, okay, we're going to do one concert on this date and come yep. see it. Yep. For sure. Can you comment at all? I know we're getting, we're kind of running over time here, but can you comment at all just in terms of money? Like, are you still thinking that you'll be able to kind of recoup your investment, pay back your investors, all that stuff? Are you less optimistic about that? Does it matter? Like, can you comment on that at all? It matters deeply to me. And I, and I don't know yet. Cause I don't know what the, yeah. I haven't gotten the numbers. I haven't gotten the numbers back from uh, the theaters. That's the theatrical run. I don't know what that number is. Right. I'm also waiting for my returns from, we've only been on Amazon now, literally like a month as of yesterday, mm-hmm. those numbers will have an effect. Well, also I'm waiting to hear numbers from the airlines and then mm-hmm. Canopy. These are also, these are rev shares. And then also, you know, whatever the 2B kind of combination of, you know, advertiser supported. The, the, the fact is that I've created a lot of income streams. Yeah, and I it think, sounds like it, right? You know, that that's ultimately, if you can, 
that's the deal. So we have live movies that is uh, in the theater, got streaming on demand, you know, in my case, two different kinds of educational, you know, airlines, if you can get it. Yeah. And then, and then, and then TV that is advertiser support TV. Those are six different outlets yep. that potentially bring in money. Yep. Will it, will it bring in money after all of that, you know, talk to me in six months and I'll be yeah. able to give you answer moment i'm i'm very much in process but i'm aware of the fact is that i have a lot more opportunities than other people have had and i think that that's because of greg lumley because he's so he's so highly regarded and and such a patron say to movies as it were in addition to the fact is that the people that spoke to me i think you know hold uh, a you know a huge cachet those things those and then and then the kind of the unique perhaps angle of turning the camera on the movie theater and, and at a very timely moment so th- those things have sort of added to kind of an exposition of what has made this kind of appealing in a way that was unsurprising that, that is surprising the people that I've seen it, you know, absolutely loved it. We we were a hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes until two podcasters in in the Bay Area took a you know didn't like it, oh, and so too bad. we went out below ninety. I'm yeah. I'm hoping to get that back up, you know. But but these are the things that you. It's like it's like if you're a restaurant, it's like fighting Yelp. Like yeah. ah, you know, one one person walked out and they didn't like their meal. You know, you killed yourself to make it okay. You know, these are the X things that you can't. We've got great quotes and from yep. the New York Times and the LA Times and Variety and and you know I'm still you know how do we you know the challenges for me and every filmmaker how do you continue to find a way to monetize that yep. and, and so I I would encourage anyone to try and find as many ways you know outlets as you can because obviously any one of them may not always deliver and or may walk into something that that is you know after the new york times the la times uh variety and you know and and and, and all and the rap and various of the people gave us great quotes we had a someone who decided they didn't like it and how that then affects you know how my rotten tomatoes number affects you know people come to see it that that was frustrating. I mean, not just from my ego point of view, but from the point of view of like, I, you know, obviously the higher number is better for me in terms of people yep. wanting to win when they've got a lot of options. So these are things that we you can't, there's so many X quotients, you know, it's like the known knowns and the known unknowns and then the yep. unknown unknowns, you right. know, <laughs> <laughs> the infamous uh, uh, Rumsfeld quote, but the marketing of your movie and trying to figure out a way to kind of actually come at this Right now, with all the changes and all the shifts and all the kind of the attention span challenges, it is a it's a great it's great that you have this podcast. It's great that you're asking these questions because I think that it's a very much an active conversation and, and requires a, a a much deeper thought than I had given it prior to me stepping into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. And then one last question. I'll let, let you go. Kind of, just kind of looking forward to the future. You've probably touched on this a little bit already, but maybe just to, to solidify, like what what have you taken from this experience that you're bringing into the future, and kind of what your next plans are, or have you thought that far, or are you thinking that far? Yeah. I mean, I, I just did a, a, a docu series for PBS called Ten Days in Watts uh, that did very well okay. and has been rebroadcast and available, you know, on PBS and. And I think they even got it on on YouTube and the rest of the places as well. But but you know that that was I was doing that concurrently with marketing this. I am also in The Exorcist as an actor, which is the 50th anniversary of it, which is going to be in theaters in uh, in October, October Friday the 13th. I had a very big year personally, and I'm grateful for it. But I'm I'm also in that kind of like like a big wave crashed on my beach, <laughs> and now 
kind of the tide's gone out and I'm kind of letting the tide kind of go out and trying to figure out what I do next. It, it I, I need a little time to kind of recoup just energetically to kind of figure out what yeah. I want to do next. I'm not, I'm not sure what that is. And I, I think that that's a rite of passage, you know, which is like, you know, because a battle, any battle requires, you know, all in, I'm an all in guy and, and, and a hard charging guy. I'm also aware of the fact is that I'm human. So at some point at the moment, you know, like when people say what's next, at the moment, what's next is is trying to kind of continue to market the film, and, and and then figure out I'm laying track for other projects, but without without jumping in yet because I just need some more time to kind of gather my source resources, my personal resources. Yep, totally makes sense. <laughs> so uh, yeah. so I appreciate all of your kind of kind of honesty about all of this and talking about not only the movie itself, but your personal journey in making and putting the movie out there and lots of great words of wisdom, I think, for other filmmakers to take away in terms of their own efforts. So appreciate all of that. Is any, any contact information you want to leave? Where can people find out more about your movie, contact you, yeah. all that kind of stuff? Thank you. This will, <laughs> thank you for that. So basically, Only in Theaters is the website um, yep. where you can see the, the reviews and what we've done and the marketing plan. You know, again, yep. just from a start moving, movie point of view, filmmaker point of view, the film's available on Amazon. And, you know, I, you know, please find it. Uh, in, in addition to that, you know, I'm available on Twitter, uh, Rafael Sparge, and also Instagram, and, you know, um, and all the other ones. Uh, yep. Not so much TikTok for a little bit, but yeah, yeah. basically... Um, <laughs> All the other ones apply, but, but, you know, go, you can go visit only theaters.com and, and, and find out more about the movie and see kind of what we did, I guess, in terms of the approach. Yep. Terrific. Any other thoughts, anything we didn't cover that you wanted to cover or anything like that? You know, I just want to say, Helen, you know, thank you. I mean, I know you're a filmmaker. I know you're making your film, and I know that you're obviously also kind of passionate about this and I appreciate your interest. We are a community of filmmakers, all of us, you know, not competing with one another. We're all trying to do good work and, and trying to figure out a way to make it work. So I appreciate what you're doing, which is to kind of try and get answers from people who are in the trenches. And, and I'm, you know, if, if any of my personal, you know, suffering and or worrying <laughs> and or anxiety, anxious type moments that we all face as filmmakers, yep. you know, yep. can translate to someone else having it, you know, slightly easier time. It makes me happy. And, and I, and I appreciate what you're doing. So, you know, oh. thank you for inviting me on the show. Oh, well, thanks so much for, for those words that really, it helps me, especially like, you know, doing a podcast, you kind of like, it's a weird thing because you broadcast out to this world of listeners and very few of them actually tell you you know, that they've listened to you or what they think of you, you know, what they think of your podcast and that kind of thing. So sometimes you just feel like you're talking into this void. So to get thanked and appreciated <laughs> is really helpful and helps me keep going. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing. All right, that's all for today. Thanks everybody for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and or reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, that is the best way that you can help me grow the show and reach a wider audience of independent filmmakers and others who just want to try to understand this crazy, crazy world of independent film distribution today. Uh, as always, feel free to contact me directly with any feedback or suggestions for the show, people you'd like to see me interview, or even just to say hi. You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram at DarkRoseColin, or you can email me at Colin at DarkRosePictures.com. Uh, and by the way, DarkRosePictures.com is my website for my feature and other projects, and its purpose is not just to promote my films, but to tell the story with full honesty and transparency of my own personal filmmaking journey. 
Uh, so if you want to follow the process of an independent filmmaker from development to distribution, this is a great way to do that. Uh, it's a bit different from other websites that are out there, I hope, with uh, a little bit more emphasis on discussion and interactivity so fans can follow my work and communicate with me directly along the way. So check it out, darkrosepictures.com. Uh, anyway, that is, as usual, enough of my own self-promotion. I want to thank Jesse Browder for his work in editing this podcast. Uh, and of course, I want to thank Raphael Sparge for opening up about his experience making and releasing only in theaters, uh, for his great words of wisdom for independent filmmakers, and also for his kind words at the end, expressing his appreciation for what I'm doing with this podcast. I have more great guests lined up in the coming weeks talking all things indie distribution. So stay tuned, keep making movies, keep getting movies out there into the world, and thanks so much for listening.